the first gig I did out here in Arizona and Macklin was working the merch table and we went up and we played the first set and I came down and I walked over to her and I think I had brought 20 bags of jerky and I was selling for $10 a bag. And I went back to check the merch table and she looked at me and she goes, we're sold out of jerky. I go, you gotta be kidding me. She goes, no, she goes, you need to start making more jerky and less records. All right, welcome back to the From Field to Plate podcast. Today I'm here with um, a guy that I grew up with um, that I've looked up to since, I think since I was in diapers. Um, And I can say that honestly because this guy was there for most of my life until he decided to move. Uh, I'm here with with my good buddy, Mike Eldred. If you don't know him, you've probably heard him. You've probably heard his his guitar riffs on different albums that you've heard on the radio throughout the years. Um, He's kind of that that face, or you've, you've heard people play guitars that he handcrafted. So I'm super excited to be here uh, and to have Mike on. So Mike, how you doing, bud? I'm good, bud. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. And the cool thing with Mike is not only is he a ridiculous musician, uh, singer, dad, husband, looks good in a fedora, um, but he started his own barbecue line um, or seasoning line which is actually pretty darn tasty. I cooked a bunch of stuff with it just last month. Uh, he's also starting a new cooking show. Yeah. Um, so we're going to get into all that. But before I do, I've kind of got three questions that um, my daughters came up with to ask every single person that comes on the podcast. And so I think it's kind of fun to start off and get to know who people are with just three random questions from an eight-year-old and a 12-year-old. So uh. question number one. What's an insult you've received that you're actually proud of? Um, <laughs> That's a deep one. I, I think know. good for an eight. It, well, right? No, no, it comes up a lot for me because um, of my, I guess because of my sense of humor and stuff. Um, but it, it, it's a real simple one. And they'll just look at me and they go, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. And I think that that's, to me, that's a compliment. I like that because just for for two reasons. Number one, because on the, on the uh, surface um, it's funny, but when you go deeper um, I think that if you want to be, if you want to, I don't want to say successful, but if you want to, if you want to um, change the game a little bit, you have to kind of be crazy and you have to be different than, that you know what i mean the normal yeah you you, you, you you can't fit the cookie cutter mold no no and yeah i don't do that yeah and i believe you are crazy <laughs> in a good way i was actually talking i was talking to ann last night and uh i was like yeah mike's gonna be on i'm pretty excited she's like man i love following them on on social media because you and karen are just you know you are who you are and you could care less what anybody else thinks and yeah. your kids play into that same mindset because that's how you raised them where it's like who cares at, yeah. at the end of the day if you're happy with who you are who cares what your neighbor thinks about you and if you're Absolutely. you know and if you're true and authentic and I think that's how I try to live the from field to plate lifestyle that I am it's like I mean I get 30 to 40 death threats a week and I'm like to me I'm encouraged by that I'm like okay I'm doing it right like right. if I stopped getting death threats I'd be like oh crap what did I do wrong you know if that makes sense at all yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's always going to be those people out there, you know? Yeah. And you've probably seen a lot of that too. All right. Question number two, 
What is the favorite meal you've ever eaten? Like the meal that if you was your deathbed, you're like, I got to have that meal again. Man, you know, I, and you, you're the same way, Jeremiah, the whole thing is, I mean, I love food and I love eating good food and, and, um, I've eaten so much and you have too. You've, uh-huh. I've, I've eaten so much weird stuff and, um, and, uh, unique things, you know, and all that stuff. But for me, it, it really kind of, it comes down to, and this is going to be really, I don't know how this is going to sound, but it really comes down to, um, what the meal is and who you're with. Um, I'll give you two examples real quick. Um, there's a restaurant here in Phoenix that that opened uh, not too long ago called Bacanora. And he just got nominated for, I think, best new restaurant, a James Beard, James Beard Award. Wow. He got nominated for it. And I think that the finals are, I don't know when they are, in June, I think. Yeah. But um, it's such a small place. And I went to eat there because I heard, heard it was good Mexican food. And good Mexican food in Arizona is, in my opinion, hard to find. Um, in California, it's a lot easier. Um, but, um, you know, I ate there and it was amazing and, and, um, they're just super nice people, but you can tell the people who are preparing the food and, 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 uh, Renee, the guy who owns it, um, or one of the owners, he's, you know, I talked to him for a little bit and, 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 uh, his story was so unique and so cool, but that place is really, that's definitely one of them. But I would say if I'm going to go to my number one place, um, it would be steak free at um, uh, Justine's Brasserie in Austin, Texas. And you would say Austin, Texas, you would immediately think barbecue. But uh, so Justine and Pierre uh, are two people who own this restaurant. It's, it was a house and um, they converted it with a big yard and they converted it into a restaurant. And when they were first starting out, they lived in two Spartan trailers that, that were parked in the back kind of in an l shape and um and you know they just kept kept at it and kept at it and they added tables to the outside then they added some other stuff but um when you go into the the restaurant it, there's a bar there's a long bar and then there's it's just noisy it's it's a brasserie so it's noisy it's loud you're sitting close to people you sit down but the food is amazing and pierre um he works the bar behind uh, the bar and uh, justine kind of works the room i don't know if she does that so much anymore now but um, and, um, and Pierre sits behind the, uh, bar and he has this little turntable and he has all these records and he sits there and he plays old blues and rhythm and blues and soul records all night for the sound of the, the restaurant. And they serve some of the best food I've ever eaten in my life. I mean, it's so good. So yeah, well, to, that's probably Texas all the time. So now I'm writing that down. Austin, uh, Justine's. Yeah, I mean, it's every time I go to Austin, it's like that's that's a I mean, you make a beeline for that place. That's, that's, but there's so many there's so many good restaurants. I mean, John's Pizza in the Village in New York. You know, when I'm if I go on tour and I end up playing in New York, I'll drop the gear off at the club and then I go to John's Pizza. So good. It, it, to me, it's amazing because, like you, I've traveled the world, yeah. and for me culture is defined by the food that's served. Um, yeah. like I've been in Thailand and I'm sitting there and everyone's like, Oh, we got to go to the golden palace. We have to go here. We have to go here. And I turn around and ask the the guy who's driving the tuk-tuk. I'm like, where's your favorite place to eat? 
Right. And he goes, oh, here. And he takes us to this little hole in the wall where they're serving these little bowl of noodles with, you know, they're literally chickens are hanging, they're squawking, that they're cutting off like limbs, and they're throwing it into this broth. And it, to me, that defines a perfect meal. Because, right. like you said, I can, I can tell you, oh, lasagna is my favorite thing to eat. Or, right. But when you, I mean, I was sitting in the middle of the Yucatan jungle with descendants of the Mayans, who are these little three-and-a-half-foot dudes, and we're cooking rodents over an open fire, laughing, eating their food, and, you know, and just they're creating these salsas and these homemade tortillas over the fire. To me, that defines culture. That defines life. That defines, you know, a balance. And I think that, that that's huge. So to hear, because I've asked people this, they're like, oh, it's grilled cheese. I'm like, okay, you know, grilled cheese impacted their life. But for you and me, which I'm glad you said it, it's it's defined by the people that are there, the story around the food. Um, yeah. Because anybody can go to the, the grocery store and buy a steak, but that steak has no story. There's There's nothing to that story until you create that story and you create the flavors and you invite people over and you pair it with the perfect wine and people are laughing and joking and they're taking bites. To me, that's when a meal becomes a meal, not yeah. just once it hits a grill or once it hits anything else. So, yeah. And I think that, I think that that resonates in a lot of things, you know, and um, whether you're building guitars or whether you're, um, you know, um, going out and doing adventure stuff like you do or stuff like that, like what you do. I mean, it's the qual it's the people you're around, you know, doing it by yourself is one thing too, but when you're around other people who are like-minded and doing that whole thing, then there's this synergy that happens and it's just really cool. No, I agree. All right. So we're going to say the last question until the end because okay. um, it kind of wraps up everything, but for, I kind of want to just kind of explain who Mike Eldred is, where you got started. I mean, I know your story. Cause again, like I said, I was three years old at your house, you know, you're, I'm, I'm on your lap and you're playing me guitar. Um, yeah. so I know your story, but kind of like, where did it start? I know I've kind of mentioned the music thing. Um, that is kind of at a core who you are, um, is your soul is, is rhythm and blues. And so kind of like dive into that, where you got started kind of, and we'll pop in and out. Yeah. I mean, you know, growing up, um, I knew early on, I remember seeing, the Beatles when I was a kid on TV. And then um, my brother and David Mills, who I, I still talk to, David Mills lived down the street. And um, I, I looked at, I looked at that and I went, I want, I want to do that. And then um, I remember going in my, my dad's, we went in my dad's garage and my dad was a carpenter and he had a, a, a barrel, a small barrel full of nails. And we dumped all the nails out. And then on the bottom of the barrel, we wrote the Beatles. And then we put a record player in the barrel. And then we put went down to David Mills' um, mom's or David Mills' house, went in his backyard, got two brooms, and um, pretended we were the Beatles. And his mom sat there on a lawn chair and watched us. And I still remember that. Awesome. And that was like, to me, that was like, okay, you know, I want to I wanna learn how to play guitar. And... Um, so my dad bought me a guitar and it got stolen. I think David Mills stole it. <laughs> and um, I got it back later on, you know, maybe a month later and it was just all destroyed. But um, anyways, um, then he bought me another guitar and I didn't really know how to play, but I knew, but, uh, and this is, this is really funny because 
anyways, I didn't know how to play. I didn't have a really good amp. You know, it was an electric guitar. I was just like, okay, you know, I need to get an amp. And so I bought this small little amp and it was horrible. It sounded horrible. It didn't sound like any of the people I was listening to. I was like, man, this is not right. And I didn't, and again, I didn't really know how to play chords. I was making stuff up as I went. And um, I went out my dad's garage one day and, and I saw this box. It was a speaker up on the rafters. And I went up there and pulled it out and looked at it. And it was a speaker. There were tubes in it. And on the side, there were three knobs. And it said, Mike, M-I-C. And I thought, I looked at that and I said, you know, my guitar plug looks like it would fit right in that. And so I took it down. I plugged it in. I turned it on. I put my guitar into it and nothing happened. And then all of a sudden, gradually, it started humming and then making all this noise and then like feedback. And it was the tubes. They had warmed up. Oh, because it was like and an old tube TV type. It was, an old tube. It, was yeah. it was for the stereo. It was an extension speaker that went to his his Packard Bell stereo. Wow. So that you could plug a cord into it and play the music out on your patio. But I pl- I used it as an amp and it was, you know, it wasn't that big. But man, it was so loud and it distorted and it fed back. And so I just sat in my room and it just fed back. But here's the coolest thing. Grab it. I didn't know I was gonna do this. <clears throat> the thing ended up falling apart, but I kept it. That's awesome. I kept, I kept the amp, and this really works still. That's that's but, the actual one from from your dad's garage. Yo, this this was like the very first amp I ever played through. That is awesome. So I kept it, and I still have it. I never use it, but I mean, I, I would I should plug it in and see how it sounds. But anyways, so once I got to that, then it was just like I put it up on top of my dresser. And I would climb up, this is, I would climb up on my my dresser and sit on top of that speaker with my guitar and turn it all the way up and just, it had a whammy bar on it. And I would just make feedback sounds all day. And, um, and then my brother's friend came over one day and he walks in and he goes, what are you doing? And I just told him, I said, you know, I play guitar and he goes, let me see it. And he turned, he tuned it all up because it was not out in tune. And he started playing Chuck Berry on it. And I was, I was like, what? And so he started showing me some stuff. And then once I started learning all the, how to do all that stuff, I just started playing. And then I've been playing ever since. Now, isn't it true? I mean, I remember you telling us you couldn't read music, right? For no, the longest no. time. I still can't. Really? No. Nope. Neither can Paul McCartney. See, and that's just, it's mind-blowing when people think about, like, as a musician, you know, people learn by reading, you know, when, when you're a little kid and they put you in front of a piano, the first thing to do is like, this is an A, this yeah. is a, you know, and for someone to be able just to feel that. And I think well, that, go for it. Well, my mom, so once they started seeing my, seeing that I was like playing, my mom said, well, let's get some guitar lessons. And I said, yeah, that'd be great. I'll get guitar lessons. And so they said, cause my friend, my, my brother's friends were teaching me and, uh, but not really um, what no, I think this was before my friend, my brother's friends were coming over. Anyway, she started, she took it to go do guitar lessons over in Long Beach, some guy, Gene Coons. I still remember the guy's name. And um, we went to his house. He had a little studio in his garage. We went in there, sat down, and he started showing me how to read music. But it was real, very, very basic. And he was showing me like shoe fly. And I'm like, and then I, I would, I was supposed to go home and practice it. And so I would go home and like, I'd put on, you know, deep purple records. It's like, yeah. no, I don't, I'm going to do this, you know? And then I'd come back the following week and he'd say, okay, play it. And it's like, I couldn't hardly play it. He was like, so this went on and he was like, 
what are you doing? And I said, well, I just don't like these songs. And he goes, here, watch. And he grabbed his guitar and he started playing this crazy boogie woogie blues stuff that was unreal. And I looked at him and, I, and he got done and I go, show me that. And he goes, no, you can't learn that yet. You have to learn shoe fly first. And I never went back. So, you know, that was the thing. Which I think is awesome because like you in music is sort of like me in cooking and culinary. Like I've never been taught. I've never been trained. I, right. I don't know the proper ways to do I mean, When I cook, I cook. People are like, well, what's that called? And I was like, food. You know, like, <laughs> and you get made fun of. You, you probably get it too. You get made fun of in the beginning. And even, you know, kind of like that whole, what's your biggest failure, but you're most proud of it. You know, like, yeah, that's one of those things. Like, when I look back, I'm like, man, I could have went to culinary school. I could have done that. But would I be who I was today if I would have done all that stuff? Like, look at Anthony Bourdain. Yeah, he worked in, as a chef and stuff like that. But when he went into his life, it wasn't about the accolades. It was about him doing what he loved and telling a story through what he loved. And I think for me growing right. up, hearing, you know, hearing you play and hearing music and watching you play with, you know, big giant bands. And it was cool because you would always tell us, like, I don't even know how to read this. I'm just playing what I feel and, mm -hmm. and what I want to. And it, 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 and I can be honest with you, it's resonated in me my entire life with mm -hmm. this, this mentality of like, just do it and don't be afraid to fail and don't be afraid of other, other people's think about you because, you know, watching you, watching Karen, watching you guys with my parents, it was always this mentality of just do it and like, don't be afraid to do it. And, and so I thank you for that. I mean, I don't know if I've ever told you that. I mean, I'm almost 40 years old, so it's been a long time, but it truly meant a lot, you know, and that's why we're still friends to this day. And yeah. it's kind of cool to be an adult friend with, a, you know, someone that you looked up to growing up. So. Well, like I said before to you, um, I'm so proud of you. And I look at what you're doing. I'm just like, man, Jeremiah is just like going out there and grabbing it. You know, that's the thing. You got to go out and grab it. And that's, I think that that's a big part of like our family, you know, and I always tell the kids this now, you know, the kids who are 27 and 28 or whatever, you know, I tell them, I go, you, you know, you got to go out and grab it. You can't, you know, you got to make it happen because if you don't, Nobody's going to knock on the door and say, hey, it's your turn, Right. you know? No, and I agree. And I think that's that's the biggest thing for a lot of people is they're so afraid to fail, especially, you know, nowadays with the way that social media is and the world yeah. is, your failure is instant if you yeah. don't succeed. Like you throw up, you know, I was talking to a girl at our, at our church and she put in a, one of her singing videos up on YouTube. She had 400 positive comments and she had one negative. She's like, I suck. I'm horrible. I can't do this. I can't, I, I need to quit. And I'm like, that person right there does not define who you are. I go, could you imagine if the greatest of the greats around us quit when they got made fun of or they yeah, didn't right. succeed, you know? And I always say like, out of your failures come your greatest successes out of what you screw up on, you know, is it that defines who you are? Not this, that one idiot online who's like, you suck. And then, yeah. you know, that, that, but to a kid nowadays, that's all you see is because that's, you know, that defines who they are is this social life, this social media, this instant gratification life that goes on. And I don't know. It's, it's sad to see that that's the generation. And that's why I try to keep my daughters as far away from that as I can and raise them in the, you know, my, yeah. my, my oldest one, 
she got made fun of at school for being the goody goody two shoes. And so I asked one of her friends, like, well, what does that mean? Well, she can't watch this show or listen to this music or do this or do that. And I'm like, okay, well, do you do this, this? She's like, well, no, that's, that's nerdy. I'm like, okay, well, that's what she's excited to do. You know, it's like, I don't know. I think it's, I don't know. It's culture as it is nowadays really kind of scares the way it's going, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, and I was talking to Karen about this this morning is that, you know, kids have it so hard right now. It's so hard right now. The world is so hard right now, not just kids, but like, you know, uh, adults and, you know, high school kids, college kids. I mean, you know, they have it so hard right now, depending on, you know, and, and, and back generations, like our parents are like, you guys don't know how easy you have it. I don't say that. I look at my kids and go, man, I'm glad that you're out of school. I'm glad that you're, you know, you know, I, I'm glad I didn't grow up in the area, area, the, the era that you are yeah. growing up in, you know, it's tough, man. And, and, but the, but the, at the end of the day, all you can do is take, you know, your kids and instill in them that everybody is wonderful and everybody has a special story and everybody you know, um, is, is, is probably, um, an idiot because they've, they've been wrong somehow growing up or something like that. So you have to have a little bit of grace there and dealing with those people to a certain extent. And then, um, you know, and just treat people, you know, go, go the other way, go the other way, treat people really, really, really respectful and really, really good. You know, no. And that's like my oldest, um, in her, one of her in fifth grade. So last year, there was one of her, uh, one of her classmates and well, one of the girls in the same age and she got transferred to my daughter's class. And I remember we got, we got called in to talk or I got called into like the principal's office. It was like, Hey, we just want to let you know. I'm like, crap, what'd she do? She's like the most sweetest, gentle, kind hearted. Like, well, no, we want to let you know that this girl's coming to her, to her class because she's getting bullied in her other class. And so we asked her who she wanted to go with. And she said, your daughter, right? And I was like, oh, that's awesome. So I was talking to Emma on the way home, and Emma's like, I don't even know who that girl is, Dad. Yeah. Like, I've seen her at school, but I don't talk to her. She's not a friend. And I'm like, the way that the teacher and the principal were talking about it, and the mom, and so I asked the mom, I call, I text the mom, I was like, hey, I'm just curious. She's like, well, she saw your daughter the way that she treated other people on the playground. She saw that she prayed at lunch. She saw that she did this, that like she listed these six or seven things that my daughter was just doing. Mm. Not to her, not to anybody, just the way that she was living her life. And I remember I broke down in tears. I was like, okay, I did something right. You know, like, <laughs> right? as a parent, like, I'm not telling my daughter, like, hey, go out of your way to do this. But I think as parents, we show how our kids need to live. And I think that's the problem with a lot of these kids nowadays is the parents, the parents are so involved on this yeah, that they are no longer involved in their kids, you know. And yeah. I just, I was on an airplane uh, last month. I was coming home from San Antonio, Texas. And I remember I was sitting there and I got there early because we got done with the hunt and I had to check in guns and bags and everything else. So I usually try to get there like two and a half hours early because there's just yeah. idiots when you're trying to fly firearms. And so I'm sitting there and I start just people watching. I turn off my phone, take out my headphones, and I'm watching. I was blown away by how many couples... And families walked by that didn't say a word to each other, mm-hmm. right? The kids were on iPads. The mom and dad were bickering and arguing about whatever. They sit down. They hand their kids this and that. Then the parents get on their phones. There was like no communication anywhere. 
Even yeah. older couples were sitting there and they had their, you know, they had their iPads up playing Wordle or whatever the hell they were playing, right? They're sitting there just enjoying it. And then I'm like, well, this is kind of weird. Like, I spend a lot of time talking to my spouse and talking to my kids and I'm just observing. And then I get on front of this couple as we're boarding and the wife is carrying this very large bag and the husband just has a backpack and she's struggling. And I was like, Oh, can I carry that for you? She's like, no, 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 I'm fine. The husband kind of glares back at me and they walk all the way up. The husband scoots all the way into the row, kind of like two rows from where I was going to sit, scoots all the way in. And she's sitting there struggling trying to put this carry on Mm -hmm. into the upper thing. And I was like, ma'am, let me help you. And the husband's like, she's got it. Wow. And like, and then they sit down on the plane and they both put in their, and they start watching movies. And I was like, where have we come as a society? Yeah. That like communication and chivalry and human nature has, has gone out the window. Yeah. And so I look and I'm like, okay, I come home and I was like, honey, put down your phone. Like we're going to talk for like four hours. Cause I just felt, yeah. I felt dirty, even though I didn't do it. I felt like wrong. And you know, I was talking to a kid at, or a family at our church and they're like, Oh, your daughter said you guys play games after dinner every night. I was like, yeah, card games or board games. Or he's like, you guys actually sit at the dinner table. Like, yeah, it's, just, <laughs> it's just mind blowing to like, look at all these things. And for me, someone whose life is surrounded around food, the dinner table is where I shine and where I get, you know, like single de Mayo was last Thursday. Right. I started cooking at noon for just my two daughters and my wife. I mean, I made three different types of enchiladas. I made like homemade uh, churros. I made homemade dulce de leche, like ice cream, because that was my way of sharing. You know, it's like we sat down and we laughed and we joked and I let the girls decorate the house in just random Mexican attire around the whole house, right? And we sat there and ate and we, from six o'clock till 8.30, all of a sudden Ann's like, oh, it's time, girls, you guys got to brush your teeth. It's time for bed. But no one thought about turning on a TV. No one, because the food was there, right? And yeah. the family and the laughing. And I think those are the moments that are going to roll downhill with them, you know, when they get older. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's keep going on. You, you learned how to play music and then you kind of started, you know, what was your big break when you got into this music industry? Well, um, so I was working and then you'll probably remember this place. There was this place called Fedco yeah. in Cerritos. And I, so I was you, working you still, there. Yeah, like a really good food court. Yeah. And, and they were kind of like a Costco. They're kind of like what Costco is now. Yeah. And it was the same concept. And I think it was the same type of deal. Um, but I started working at Fedco and I was stocking uh, the impulse aisles. Impulse is right before you check out and they have rows and rows of stuff that you don't need. But you're like, but, Oh, I need that gum. I need that. I need that. Right. Why didn't I get that? Why didn't I get that thing? You know? And, and so I would stock those aisles and stuff and it was a good job. It was a union job. I was making good money. I was like, oh, this is great. And I was, and then, you know, I was, I was going home and playing guitar and all that stuff. But the hours were really funky because you would work from like, um, you know, till sometimes nine o'clock at night. Well, I couldn't rehearse with a band. I couldn't play gigs. And I was getting to that spot where it's like, hey, I need to, you know, go do that stuff. And so I was like, okay, I need to find another job. And, and this, and this is the, this is the part of the story where it gets really kind of unique and weird. So going through all this time, um, I have this friend of mine, Mike Farley, who I still talk to. Uh, he was one of the guys who would teach me how to play guitar growing up and stuff. And we became really good friends, me, him, a guy named Rick Jara and Jim Montgomery. And we'd all play music together. But Farley, you know, Farley, he was, he, was a, he was a little bit older than me. And he was really, he would seek out bands. 
And he came over to my house one time. He goes, we got to go see this band Thursday night. We got to go see this band up in L.A. Gazzari's called Van Halen. They're the guitar player's killer. And so it's like, okay, you know, whatever. So we went in his car. We drove up to Gazzari's. There were three bands playing that night. Um, and, um, and we watched them do their set. Do, they did two sets. They would alternate the bands and they did two sets and it would, and it was great. I didn't care much for the singer. It was okay. But you know, but the guitar player was amazing. And, um, and in between the sets, we'd go talk to him, introduce ourselves and talk to him and stuff. And, you know, he wasn't Van Halen at that time. He was Ed and, yeah. you know, what pillow are you using? You know, what, you know, what's that cable? What do you, you know, you know, what year's that guitar or whatever. It was geek stuff, guitar geek stuff, you know? And, um, and so we would continue to go see him play and stuff. And, um, and then in between sets, we would go out into his van and drink beer with him and talk about gear and amps and everything, you know? And then you start seeing them rise up and start to, to really get a following. Well, at that point, um, Ed was playing this Explorer guitar and then, and then he, and then he walked in with this uh, black Stratocaster that was a 1964 Stratocaster that he had butchered, just totally ruined this guitar, but it sounded killer. And then, and then the following time we went and saw him is when I saw the black and white striped guitar. And I looked at it and I looked at him and I said, where did you get that? And he goes, I got it at this place called Charvel's manufacturing. And he gave me the phone number. And so at that point, I'm like, well, I'm going to, and he told me it was like, you know, 50 bucks, 40 bucks for the body, 50 bucks for the neck. And I thought, well, I'm going to get a custom guitar done. So I called them up and I said, I want to order a custom guitar. And they go, okay, well, do you know what you want? I go, not really. And they go, why don't you come down and we'll talk about it. I go, okay. So I drove out there from, from my house where I was living in Artesia to San Dimas. And I drove out there. And again, I had just gotten off work. So it was late at night and Grover Jackson was there. and he, you know, we start talking about it and stuff and all that business. And I'm looking around and, you know, I paid him a hundred dollars down payment for the guitar and the guitar wasn't going to be a hundred dollars altogether. It was going to be $400 or 800 bucks, $800. Wow. And I was like way out of my league. So I had to work and then drive up there and pay money. But one of the times I would drive up there and pay money, I'm looking around and I'm, I'm hating my job. I want to play music. I'm trying to pay for this guitar and all these things came together. And I'm like, if I get a job here, I can work on my own guitar and I can get a discount and I can get the guitar cheaper and I can work the hours where I can still play in a band. Everything came together. Right. And so I asked him, I go, Hey, you know, are you hiring? And he goes, I'm looking for somebody now, but he goes, this, this, you're, you're, if you're a guitar player, this is bad on your hands working with wood and stuff. And I said, I, I need a job. And so he hired me and that was 1977 or 78. I believe. And, um, and that was it. He taught me how to build guitars and I worked for him for nine years, I think. And then, and then I went to work for, uh, Yamaha and I worked there for about eight years. And then by that time I was playing with Lee Rocker from the Stray Cats and, and, uh, I got laid off at, at Yamaha. And so I did the band straight just music for a year, but right then is when we had Lindy. Right. And, and so I needed to be a dad. And so I had to find another job. And then that's when Fender hired me. And so I, and then, and when I was at Fender, I was balancing again, I was doing both. Yeah. I'd go on vacation and I'd go on tour, you know? And I remember, I remember when you got hired at Fender 
or when you were working at Fender because we would go and visit you when you were doing right. that. And then I vividly remember we were doing a, a high school because you, you worked with high school with us for a little while too, doing, doing stuff. And we were having a big bonfire at the beach and all the fenders <laughs> that, do you remember this? All the fenders oh, yeah. that couldn't be used because of dents, nicks, bruises, knots, whatever, right? You filled up the back of my truck yeah. with all these beautiful guitars that were going to be just thrown away, right? Yeah. Remember, we drove down to the beach and we lit like the biggest bonfire with all yeah. these. Throw another, throw another guitar body on the fire. <laughs> oh, it was so, and I remember people walking by and you just see these like Southern California kids on the beach hucking these guitar bodies onto the fire. I remember lifeguards coming over. They're like, Oh my gosh, people are like, can we buy them? We're like, no, like this is our firewood for the, for the freaking night, man. Right. And I remember it was so funny. Cause it was like necks. It was, you know, heads, it was bodies and it was, everything was finished almost for the most part, but something happened that you couldn't sell them. You couldn't use them and you yeah. guys were going to trash them. And they were just solid wood bodies. And I still remember like just the fun we had that night of just chucking guitars on the fire and we were, I remember we were, I think I think we were breaking guitars in the fire like trying to be like I think you were screwing them in like okay now shatter them and we were like shatter them <laughs> on there and, um but it was it was fun for us growing up because you know even though you were playing with like Lee Rocker and you were this guy that was building guitars you were still on Sunday mornings playing in, in church you know yeah. and we were we were getting to watch you and do that kind of stuff and watch you kind of grow also like you said watching these people grow and it's watching, you know, your family grow and watching you guys struggle through miscarriages and then, and then yep. Lindy and then having all the other kids and being able to be a part of that was awesome in the yep. midst of your music and in the midst of you playing guitar. And I remember I always wanted to play guitar, but I just, my fingers don't work. Um, and so I just got into cooking food at a young age because to me, that was, that was my guitar playing like you, you know, like, like you doing is being able to sit there and tell a story. Yeah. You, you tell a story through chords I tell a story through a fork and a knife. And I think yeah. it's the same, it's the same juxtaposition when you look at the actual storytelling of how it is. And, and for, you know, my stories like yours where I hated my job and everything just aligned. And now it's like, you're doing what you love and yeah. you know, your house is filled with guitars and amps, but you still have that first amp, you know, mine's all filled with skulls and stuff, but I still have that first bullet casing, you know, from yeah. the first hunt that I, and it's like, it's my most prized possession. People are like, oh, I was like this little casing right here from a yep. 30 out six. And so, but let's kind of get away. I know you're huge on music, but let's get into this whole new food realm that, that you're doing. Yeah. Cause I know barbecue to you and food to you is like what it is to me. And yep. we've had many conversations. Your seasoning is ridiculous. Um, and I, I mean, I even told you, you're like, are you seriously using it? I'm like, you don't remember sending me some? You're like, no. Um, but I know you're doing jerkies. You're doing like, you're doing a lot of fun, cool things around food. So kind of talk a little bit about that um, and where people can find that. Yeah. And then we'll talk about your, your new show you have in the works where you're cooking. And hopefully you and I were already talking about trying yeah. to go down and shoot some pigs yeah, and do some barbecue and film some really cool video of, you know, shooting hogs yeah. in Texas and cooking barbecue. Yep. So, um, any, so the way that it started, again, it all came from the music thing because I would go do these gigs and I would be selling CDs and T-shirts or whatever, you know, and, you know, on and on and on. But when we when the band would go on the road, I was always making like beef jerky. So I'd made beef jerky and I had seasonings that I would cook for at home. But I would I make this big bag of beef jerky to take on the road because when you're driving 300 miles or something, you know, you can stop and, and eat at a restaurant, but, you, you know, you want to get there. Yeah. 
So I'd bring this bag of jerky for the road. And we were on this tour and we were selling, we were selling t-shirts and hats and records and everything. We were selling out of stuff and people were buying stuff left and right. And I had made a joke to the guys. I said, you know, I go, when we get to the place that I'm going to pull into like a supermarket and go in there and buy a pie and some paper plates and plastic forks and slice it up, put it on slices and put it on the merch table and sell slices of pie for five bucks. And we all laughed and stuff like that. And the drummer was in the back seat and he was eating the jerky. He goes, you know what you should be selling is this. And I thought to myself, wait a minute. So when I got home, you know, I sat down, I, I figured out the packaging and stuff like that. And then Macklin said to me, um, cause I just come out with this record called Baptist town. And, and there was a song on there called Papa Legba. And, uh, and, um, and there's another song called hoodoo man. And, um, um, it's all the records all about songs about the South and on and on and on. But anyways, um, I was trying to figure out a name to call it. And, and Macklin came up to me, she was, you need to call it uh hoodoo jerky. And it's like, Oh, you know, all right. So then I, so then at that point, then I was like, okay, well, I get a, I'll make a brand. And so I, I came up with Papa Legba's Hoodoo Barbecue and Soul Supply. And what that is, is that Hoodoo Barbecue is like the stuff you cook with, yeah. the, the seasonings and, and, the, and, the, and the jerky or the coffee or whatever it is. And that's what Hoodoo Barbecue is. And then Soul Supply is like coffee cups, aprons, um, you know, utensils, anything like that. So the, I have two different kind of categories. And um, and all that business. So, anyways, I came up with Papa Legba Hoodoo Barbecue and Soul Supply, and I started selling Hoodoo Jerky. The first gig I did out here in Arizona, and Macklin was working the merch table, and we went up and we played the first set. And I came down and I walked over to her, and I think I had brought twenty bags of jerky, and I was selling for ten dollars a bag. And I went back to check the merch table, and she looked at me. And she goes, "We're sold out of jerky." I go, "You got to be kidding me." She goes, "No." She goes, "You need to start making more jerky and less records." <laughs> And so, and so anyway, so I just, I started making more and more. And then I, and then I made, and then I, the rub that I was making, I called love rub. And I put that in a bottle and I came up with the labels and I bought, I found the bottles and I found all the packaging and I had my buddy design a logo and, you know, I did all this stuff. And then, and then um, we started selling that at the gigs. And then we started selling aprons and the aprons were 30 bucks a crack. And then, and then I went on this tour with Robert Cray and I brought a bunch of aprons and a bunch of coffee and a bunch of love rub. And I sold everything out. Yeah. I, I mean, it was, I, I remember being at the rental car place, grabbing the two suitcases I had and, and throwing one of them away, one big suitcase away. Cause it was filled full of aprons when I got there and it was all, you know, we saw, we had sold out of everything. So as I kept doing that, it was just like, okay, you know, I need to, I need to, I really, cause you know, I like to cook and you know, it's a big part of a lot of my friends, um, like uh, Chef Dean Fearing at Fearing's yeah. Restaurant in the Ritz Carlton in Dallas. He's one of my best friends, and uh, you know Chef Dean, he's given me pots and pans and and recipes and stuff. And and when I go out there, he plays guitar. He's a killer guitar player. When I go out there, we'll sit down and you know have a really great meal there and stuff like that. And and then uh, Michael Jordan, not not the, not the basketball Michael Jordan, the wine Somali, the master sommelier yeah. Michael Jordan. He's a really good friend of mine. And so, and then Mark Tarbell out here in Arizona, who owns Tarbell's restaurant, he's a chef. And then um, Chef Andrew at, uh, he works for Disney at the Napa Rose and uh, he runs all their culinary. He's a really good friend of mine too. So, and just talk, and they, they all play guitar. And so I'm just talking with these guys. 
you know, they kept giving me pointers and stuff like that. And then the Papa Legba thing, I put up a little website and you can go to hoodoobarbecue.com. You can order the mugs, the aprons, the uh, love rub, uh, all there. I'm not selling the jerky on there yet. We're, we're trying to, we're revamping the jerky business and figuring out um, what's the best way to do that. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's where it's at. And I just keep blowing it up. And now um, for me, like you, I have a passion for cooking, but I also, and this all stems from like my brother. My brother is, is the consummate bachelor, right? And um, I go to his house and I open up a refrigerator and there will be a beer, uh, a tub of margarine and, and like bologna. A, a, an old burrito wrapped up in foil. Yeah. And I'm like, what are you doing? Don't you, don't you cook? No. And I would go over there and he doesn't even have a pan. And so for me, I just looked at it and I went, I want to do a cooking show. And it really is for guys. It's for guys. And it's not just barbecue, but it's like you can, I'll show you how to make a really nice pan seared sea bass. Really simple, easy. Yeah. That tastes delicious. And that way you can impress the girl or whatever it is, you know, and that kind of a thing. But giving you, but teaching people how to do it. Cause me growing up, my family, you know, they, my, my grandmother was from Texas. My mom was from Texas. Um, and so, you know, there, there was just, it was just constant, yeah. a really good comfort home cooking food. And I would sit down with uh, my grandmother and she'd take me shopping with her and stuff. And so she really taught me a lot about cooking. My mom did too, but I think my grandmother mostly. And the first day that Karen came over to, to my mom and dad's house, I was at my mom and dad's house making a quiche with my mom. <laughs> Which I think she's like she was thinking rethinking the yeah. situation there. Hey, wait a like, minute, what? this guy plays guitar and quiche, like yeah, right? <laughs> sort of like a... so yeah, that, that's so Papa Legba just kind of grew from that, and now where it's at now, we're trying to get into uh, AJ's out here in, in Arizona. I've had a meeting with them already. I'm waiting to see what I can get a, a purchase order from them now, and and uh, it's just blown up. I, I I can't make it fast enough, and um, it's really good. I'm really grateful. And uh, it's great to put on everything. I did a shootout with Chef Tim Love out in Fort Worth, and and uh, we did meat and everything like that. And he 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 teased me, and he goes, he goes, now, now you said your rub's good on everything. I go, it is. And he goes, well, we're gonna see. And so we put it on chocolate. We did all this stuff, and we put it on vanilla ice cream. And uh, he took a bite of it, and he kind of looks at the camera. And he goes, damn, that's pretty good. <laughs> and so yeah, it was. No, it's, in, in mine too. I mean, you sent it to me, and it was at the time where I was getting like so many freaking seasonings. And yeah. I, I remember I just put it up on the shelf. I'm like, I can't try all these freaking seasonings. Like there's just, there's so many of it. Well, all of a sudden I started becoming allergic to different, like, like sunflower seed oils mm. and stuff like that. And a lot of seasonings put sunflower seed oil as a binding agent and in, in their, in their uh, seasonings. So all, all of a sudden all these seasonings that I could eat, all of a sudden I couldn't eat. Right. And so I was sitting there and I was cleaning out my cupboard and I found that bottle and I was like, huh, I never even, I, mean, I haven't even opened it. Cause I remember you sit, I think you gave it to my parents and my parents gave it to me or something like that when they were in Arizona to see you, you know, you right. guys had dinner or something like that. And so I was doing, I think I did like three different pork chops or something, uh, pork butts, no ribs. I was doing ribs mm. and I did, I did three different racks of ribs with these three different seasonings and like, Yours was one of them. And I was like, all right, kids, like, just tell, 
and I didn't put any sauces, nothing. It was all dry rub because I wanted to, you know, you can put a barbecue sauce in there and you lose, yeah, you lose, you lose the flavor of, of the rib or the rub or any of that kind of stuff. Or, and I remember they kept going back to years going back and I just texted you, I was like, dude, it's phenomenal. And it's not me just saying that it was, you know, these are some seasonings that people are sending me that are, this is what they do for a living. And for you to do it as, as a hobby, cause I make all my own seasonings if I don't use stuff like I don't buy taco seasoning. I don't buy chili season. You know, these guys are like, Oh, I use Landry's taco seasoning. I'm like, you know how much better your seasoning can be <laughs> just by getting a good cumin and a good, yeah. you know, like there's a company you got to try. It. It's called bourbon barrel seasonings. I don't know if you've ever tried it out of Kentucky. Um, it what they do is they age all of their sauce. So- they have a, um, he's the first white guy to ever win the soy sauce in Japan with his soy sauce. Um, and it was aged in old bourbon barrels. So he, he lives in Kentucky, gets all the Kentucky distilleries to give him the barrels and he uh-huh. ages his Worcester in it. He ages his, um, soy sauce in it. He's making sorghum. He's making maple syrup in the barrels. And then when the barrels are done, after he's done it, he takes those barrels and he smokes the seasonings with those whiskey barrels. Oh, nice. And so he's got bourbon smoked paprika, which I could just eat with spoons. Um, But pepper, salt, sugars, coffees. um, And the dude's legit. His name's Jamie. And he's, again, like you're talking about those chefs that you know who were just like, they are above and beyond their knowledge for the ingredient. And Mm -hmm. for him, it's that locally sourced ingredient that he's utilizing and finding. And for this, this white dude who wasn't a chef gets thrown in this culinary world because of a soy sauce. He was just eating. So he's like, I can make a better one than this. And he put it in an old bourbon barrel and aged it. He has a double aged one where it's double fermented in these bourbon barrels. I'm not even kidding. It comes with like a dropper because it's, it's that, And it's, it is phenomenal. It's one of those deals where you put it on, like we were deep sea fishing and we caught tuna and I brought a little bottle with an eyedropper. And so guys are out there and they're getting, I was like, oh, we're going to make fresh sashimi on the boat with this tuna. These guys are like, oh, and I was like, just trust me. And I took an eyedropper and just dropped it. And every guy's like, where can I buy that? Now, is it expensive? Yeah. yeah but is it really good ingredients? Sometimes are, um, but like everything's batch labeled. So it's like, this is batch 312. And so, you know, that bottle of soy sauce you got is a batch from blank in. But when I was turkey hunting last year, I had a chance to go in and actually hang out with him and cook with him. And it was him and I were just laughing the entire time and just eating. And everyone's like, why are you guys? Cause it's food, right? And food, food drives us. And so I think it's awesome to watch, you know, kind of your story unfold and, and go from like a kid who just heard the Beatles to now he's creating food and creating a story and around music, you know, music introduced you to all these people. And if there right. wasn't music in your life, then, then there wouldn't be. And I think it's just this, it's a beautiful way God works that he puts every ingredient into that pie to make it taste delicious. And right. so, yeah. And like the, the, for Hoodoo kitchen, the cooking show is called Hoodoo kitchen. And the, the, premise of the, of the cooking show is that I, there's there's a component a music component in it and um and it's also people like you who you know will invite on and you know friends and stuff and and um you know celebrities and stuff and just have them come on and come up with a recipe or, or something that they like to cook or 
that they want to learn how to cook or whatever it is. But then music's in, incorporated in it and then just, you know, having fun with it, you know. That's to me that the biggest part of it, you know. I remember I was sitting around a hunting camp. I got invited to this hunting camp and we're sitting there and this guy shot a, a hog and he had never butchered a hog, right? And so they're like, Jeremiah, get over there and help him butcher this hog. I'm like, all right, whatever. For me, the gutting and butchering process is way more fun than the shooting. Uh, like I love yeah. to shoot, but there's something that switches in me as soon as the animal's hanging and I can get bloody and gutty yeah. and dissect my dinner. And yeah. so I'm over there, him and I are just BSing, right? We're having a good time and we're cutting down this hog and, and we're doing everything and we're laughing, we're having a good time and we get back and we're, we're washing up, we're having dinner, we're actually cooking his hog for dinner, I'm cooking it. And then we all sit around the fire and everyone, you know, grabs their whiskey and their cigars and the day's hunt is over and they're like, hey, why don't you play some music? And this dude goes and pulls out a guitar and starts to play. And I'm like, man, that guy's voice sounds really familiar. But again, I'm just looking at it from a hunting. It's, it's Chris Jansen, the country like superstar. I had no idea who this guy was. We were just sitting there and also I'm like, Oh, and it brought this whole thing, this whole story. And then afterward, I'm like, Hey, I got to apologize. I, I don't know. He's like, no, I thought that was the best part is that we were just people having fun yeah. and cooking, laughing and joking. And I think that's yeah. where, where that food comes in. It really kind of breaks down that barrier. Um, and I was, I was talking to, I was on this uh, podcast with these politicians. They invited me on. It was these, these two gentlemen who were in trying to do, um, it's called like African-Americans for the outdoors. And they're trying to get more African-American youth in the outdoors instead of like protesting and fighting. It's like, Hey, get out there, grab a, grab a gun for the right reason. This is hunting. This is fishing. This is camping. This is, and these guys are awesome. These, these two politicians and we're sitting there talking about it and they were like, well, why do you like food? And I go, cause for me, food is the greatest equalizer there is, right? Mm -hmm. Every, every story in history has food in it. As a Christian, mm -hmm. Jesus's greatest miracles were around food or a dinner table. Some of his mm -hmm. best stories are around food or a dinner table. I go, and I've sat at, at hunting camps with far lefts, far rights, and they're arguing and fighting over politics until I bring out food and then every mouth shuts up because it's full of food and there's laughing and there's joking yeah, and there's no politics at the table. And then as soon as the food's over and it's, and then it's like, I go, <laughs> but that food to me is the greatest equalizer and it gets people to realize that if you don't eat, you die. And if there's good food, then there's a good story and there's a good laughter. And the same thing with music. When music gets turned on and it's good music, you can't fight. You yeah. can't argue. And so I think the show that you're doing, which is good food and good music, really is going to bring that, that whole idea home of like, just shut up. Fill your mouth with food. Because yeah. if, if your mouth's full of food, you can't be a dick. Like, you, yeah. just, you just can't, you know? And, yeah. and no one's been ever eating a really good pie. And be like, you know what? Screw, screw Debbie. As they take a big, you know, it's like their mind is thinking, wow, this is really good blueberry pie. So right. <laughs> I don't know. That's just my two cents on food as, as a whole. So, yeah, but all right. So we'll get, I mean, I think it's awesome. And I think this is a phenomenal podcast because it kind of just talks about who you are and lets people be a part of it. So to that last question, mm. what is your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? Because I think if you look at your entire story, your entire life, something that you considered a failure, but actually you learned the most from it and it became part of who you are 
that failure kind of thrust you into greatness and to the person you are today? Um, I'm writing a book now in my spare time. <laughs> you have spare time like I have spare time? Right. And, um, but it's called Corporate Sludge. And um, I think that um, between working at Yamaha and working at Fender, um, the, my, my, those were my, my brushes with corp, the corporate world. And I think that um, f- for me, it's for me, this is for me, yeah. not for everybody. Some people may thrive in that environment. But for me, um, believing that those people cared was a big failure for, on my part. Mm. I should I should have never even thought about that. And um, and for, so for me, it was it was that kind of that's that was a thing. And I learned at that point, it's like, look, I'm not going to be happy. And I've told my kids this. You know, um, Lindy's getting ready to put her first record out. And and Lindy has, has struggled. I watched her struggle since she started making music. Mm-hmm. If she started making music, she would have, you know, struggles, like uh, uh, emotional struggles and sometimes relationship stuff. And and But it was mostly emotional stuff in her head. And, um, and that would manifest it throughout relationships and friends and things like that and family and all that other stuff. But I told her, I remember telling her one time, I said, you're never going to be happy until you start doing what God created you to do. And you were going to struggle until you start doing that. And that was the truth. And she knows that now. And now she's, she, you know, you talk to her now and she's like, oh my God, I can't, I can't believe I'm getting ready to release my first record, you know? And, um, so for so for me, trusting and I really didn't really I I I did it at arm's length, but even believing that um, my employer or my boss really cared about who I was as a person, mm-hmm. and I think it's whether you're, you're in a corporate thing or not. Some bosses are really great and all that stuff, but for me, again, that that feeling that I have inside of me is that I want to do what I want to do. You know, not what you need me to do, you know? And when I did my job at Fender or at Yamaha or wherever it was, I did, I did a really good job of it. And, um, and that's great. And I'm very proud of the time that I had there, but um, those people really didn't care about me as a, as Mike Eldred and what I wanted to do and, and how I wanted to grow and how the things I wanted to experience, all they cared about was that bottom line. Right. And um, I think that's probably my biggest failure in life is is uh, not. um, And part of it is because of, you know, I had family, you know, I had kids. And so I needed I needed stability. And I think that I was afraid to take the big step of like, well, I'm going to go just do music full time back then, you know, because I was doing I was doing music. I don't want to say I was doing music part time. I was doing, uh, you know, I was doing music full time and then uh, financing it with a job, a day job. Yeah. That's really my mindset from day one. You know, when looking back at the Charvel gig, I wanted to go play. So I had to go get a day job and it just happened to be building guitars. Right. So 
for me, it was, it's all just, you know, funding what I really want to do and that's play music and, and do that kind of thing. And, and um, so, yeah, I guess that's it. You know, I mean, uh, being involved in the corporate world and, 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 tr and even believing for a second that they cared about uh, what my best interests were. Right. That was a mistake. I remember now that you say this, we had a, when I was going through manager drinks, I worked in restaurants for 18 years. So mm -hmm. corporate world, I know it and I hate it. Yep. Um, there's a reason that I'm, I quit and I'm happier now than I've ever been in my life for the past yep. six years after I quit the restaurant. But there was a manager that we had. And when I was going through general manager training and I was learning under this guy, this guy was phenomenal a guy that I still talk to to this day. But he told me, he goes, just remember every server, bartender, host, manager, cook, dishwasher, everyone's replaceable. If they don't show up to their shift tomorrow, we'll replace them instantly. So don't yeah. worry about it. Because I, I, I would buy into people's lives. I'm like, oh, I have to get them this shift off because they've got a wedding. They've got this. They've got, and, he, right. and his mindset was, we're opening the restaurant tomorrow at 11 o'clock. If they're here or they're not here, it doesn't matter. The restaurant opens at 11, fill their position. Right. Like, get rid of them. And that's yeah. kind of what you're talking about is I started seeing that, you know, and I started feeling that. And... I had a three-year-old and a newborn at home and I was like, I can't quit this job. And so I suffered in it. And all of right. a sudden, you know, God, I, I kept, God kept telling me to, to pursue from field to plate. And I kept putting it on the back burner, putting it on the back burner, putting it on the back burner. Cause same mentality. I've got a wife, I've got two kids, I've got a mortgage, I've got a car. So I've got, I can't just quit and go hunt for a living. Mm. And it got to the point where I had to get a class four tear in my calf muscle to be out of work for six months for God to finally be like, Hey, look, idiot, you know? And I never went back that right. I've never been back. And people are like, right. open up a restaurant. I was like, no, I, I don't want to get back into that world. I, I love what I do. Yeah. And we had a guy that came over to fix plumbing and he walked in my garage. He's like, Oh my gosh. You know, like you, you hunt, you, you fish, you do all this other stuff. Right. And I'm like, yeah, I do all this. Stuff. He's like, oh man, I've always wanted to. And him and I for the next hour and a half talked. I open up my freezer, I pull out, a, you know, summer sausage. I start slicing it. We're sitting there in the in the middle of my garage talking, eating summer sausage. I end up taking the dude out hunting, and you know, I learned that could have never happened sitting in a restaurant serving right. somebody a pot pie. Like, yeah, I, I think that I think that the mistake is not having the faith to sit there and go. I could, I could really just do that. I, I can go do what I want and make a living. Right. Not having the faith to do that. That's the mistake for me. Right. And my wife gave me, she's like, listen, with what I make at work, we will, you budget for a living. You budget right. us on, on, on my salary. And I'll give you two years to make it work. Yeah. I remember that first year I, I hunted and fished and filmed 290 out of 365 days. Yeah. And I remember I got my first paycheck from a company. I, I wrote a, I wrote a magazine article and I got $25 for this picture in this, in this magazine. And I was like, I've done it. Like, yeah, I started doing the math. I'm like, okay, all I got to do is this many more. And now, <laughs> and now I laugh because I look back at that very first picture I put in a magazine and it's laughable. Yeah. Like it's a cell phone picture, the way that it's written. And I got 25, I still have that magazine. It's still like my price because yeah. I still have the check. Right. But now companies are like, hey, we'll give you four grand for a spread in our it's like 
because I suffered and because I just kept saying, Hey, I have to do this. I have to hustle. I have to work. Now I look at him like, man, I could, could you imagine if I was just like, you know what? Screw it. I'll go back to work. I'll make this, I'll, I'll, I'll find time to do it. Like I've traveled the freaking world eating yeah, and getting paid to, to shoot animals, catch fish and cook. Yeah. Like it's mind blowing to think if you were to yeah. tell, if you were to tell, you know, 15 year old me, I'd be like, that, that'd be fun. I'd, I'd love to do it, but it's never going to happen, you know? So, and I think yeah. pro- probably the same for you. Like if you look back at that kid sitting on an amp in his room, smacking a whammy bar that he would be who he was today, you'd probably laugh at that guy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I'm, you know, I remember, I remember driving down the 605 freeway and getting a text from a buddy of mine and saying, Hey, Disney's trying to get a hold of you. And I was like, okay. And, and then Disney coming to me and saying, Hey, we want to use one of your songs in a movie trailer. And I was just like, okay. And it was like, you know, I got a check for $25,000 yeah. and, and Mickey Mouse was on the corner of the check, but it was like, you know, or Toyota or doing a, a thing with Toyota and, you know, Hey, can you do this piece of music for us? And it was like, I think seven seconds of music and they paid me thousands and thousands of dollars, a lot of money. Right. And, and, you know, I mean, I look at it and I'm just so grateful for that, but, you know, just being, you know, not having to listen to, you know, what somebody else's vision is, you know, it's like, no, I have a vision. I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about that. I want to do that. I want to wake up. It's I'm sure that you and I are the same, Jeremiah, when you wake up in the morning and it's like, Whoa, what if I did this? Oh man, I could do that. And if I did that, and if I talked to that guy, I could do this and that. And it's like, it's like 20 things are floating around and it's like, okay, how do I monetize this stuff? And also, you know, what, you know, what, what can I do, you know, to, to keep on track of the regular stuff? You know what I mean? No, we went out to breakfast on Friday that you say this mm-hmm. and I was sitting there talking to my wife cause she has off every other Friday. So every other Friday, her and I dropped the girls off at school and it's our time to have breakfast. And I start talking about seven new ideas that I had over the week. So I'm able to talk to her really. <laughs> and she goes, can you just finish one of the 30 other things that you're working on before you start anything else? And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, you just, she's like, everything you do, you do and you succeed. And some you're like, ah, I'm going to fail. I don't want to do that. So you stop doing it. She's like, but you continually start new things. Cause as soon as it's in your head, you're like, I have to do it. Right. And I'm like, yeah, but if I, I'm like, it's the same sort of mentality. If I don't do it, I feel like I'm doing a disservice to myself. Right. And so it's, you you go on my computer and there's like just folders of like ideas. And like, I mean, I had an idea to do a kid's cookbook. This is the one I'm talking to on Friday. She's like, you have three other cookbooks you're working on. I was like, yeah, but all I need is these hundred recipes and these pictures. And she's like, but you've got these three other cookbooks that are almost finished. Finish them. I was like, yeah, but... And I start, so I go home and I type up like 50 ideas for recipes because to me, it's, if I don't put it out there and I don't get it, and it's not a, you gave me two years to make this. And she's like, yeah, but it's six years. I'm like, yeah, but in my mind, it's still the two years that I need to, this is who I am. This is defining, you know, but she, that's just funny. Cause she told me literally on Friday, she's like, just stop, like finish a project before you start another project. I'm like, yeah. well, they, they all get finished, Yeah, but it's. Like you, you're like, oh, I wake up, like I literally have a journal next to my bed and I'll wake up and I'll write down. Like 
I, I had a dream the other night. I wake up and I write down the dream. I'm like, oh, this would be sick. And I go back to sleep. Wake up in the morning. I'm like, oh, yeah, it wasn't just a dream. I wrote it down. You know, like. Yeah. And, you know, Karen's very much the same way. Um, for me, um, yeah, I struggled with that for a long time. And then I, the, the, I had this buddy of mine, Brian McDonald. And Brian, he uh, ushered me into the world of, of goal setting. Yeah. And I had set goals before. And I, you know, it's like, okay, you sit down and, and do goals and all that business. Um, and, and, um, but, but, but Brian really kind of, he really kind of set it all up. So it was like, okay, this is, this is, uh, this is really how you do it, you know, and, and, and gave me a really good way to do it. I'm going to read it for you real quick. Okay. Yeah. Is that cool? Yep. Um, because what in doing the goal setting thing is simple because you probably have begun goals too. Yeah. And, and it's when you sit down and you write down your goals and all that stuff. This is what he sent me. This is what I have. He says, one, one thing I've learned is that good, succinct goals slash resolutions are the necessary scaffolding for successfully achieving whatever it is you want out of life, right? Mm-hmm. Not just your job, whatever yeah. it is you want out of life. But that's not enough. If they're not scheduled on your daily slash weekly calendar, chances are they will soon fall out of focus. You really have to schedule it if you want to make it happen. And then, and he says, Sunday evening, schedule out your week. Everything must support one of your primary goals, resolutions. If it doesn't, it's the last thing I add to my calendar. If there's not time, it doesn't make it. So when he gave me that, it was like, okay, this makes sense, you know? And, and so then when I do my goal setting stuff, I sit down and I'll write down four, four, maybe four goals. I won't write down 10. I'll write down four. Yeah. And then I'll put little sub things on there. And then every day I kind of look at that and go, what do I want to do? And yeah. at the end of the year, because I do it every year, and at the end of the year, you look at that list, and I'd say 90% of them are done, if not 100. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, you really can't tell. But mine, before I go to bed, I write out my morning, just my mornings, because mm-hmm. my mornings seem to, when I get home dropping the girls off at school, that's the craziest time for me. The afternoons, I can get, I can get crap done in the afternoons. Yeah. It seems like the morning, I'm just like, and so I have from... 7.50 till 12 o'clock every morning gold out. Like it's, you know, drop off the girls at school from 7.50 to 8.45. And then it's like, work on this from 10 to 11, 11 to 11.30, work on this, 11.30 to 12, work on this. And I'll, I'll set Alexa alarms. And I know it sounds crazy and my wife thinks I'm nuts, but like Alexa will be like, you know, hey, it's, it's 11 o'clock, you need to start blank. And I'll stop right. what I'm doing because otherwise I'll be doing that project for, hours until I got to pick the girls up from school. But I, I'd like if you would email that to me. Cause that's, I will, that's something that I, I need to look at it in more of a long term than just a, than, than just a daily goal. Cause I've got my, my hefty goals at the end of the, you know, Hey, I want this for the end of the year, but yeah. And it started where I had to like, Hey, I need to say for this half an hour is designated to blank because I caught, I found myself getting so ADD in all my thoughts, like, Oh, this would be awesome. Yeah. And it really, and I had friends that they're like, Hey, let's go out and do this. I was like, Hey, I can't today from 11 to 1130. I have to get this done. They're like, yeah, but let's go shoot archery. I was like at, at 1130 to whenever I'm completely open. Yeah. I had like, I've got to get this done because I don't know. It's that goal. Like, like you said, it's that goal setting. It's that for me, it's that budgeting of my time and yeah. budgeting of making and, sure and, that I'm, I'm, I'm available for my family and available. Like I don't want to sit on the computer when my kids get home from school. Right. I want to be interactive. I want to help them with homeschool, with homework. I want to take the dog for a walk with them. 
I want to ride bikes when my wife, and then I got to cook dinner. So my wife gets home, there's dinner on the table. Like, yeah. So how do I, how do I goal set and prioritize my, my morning for that? And so, yeah. And with the goal setting, like I said before, I've, I've always set goals, but there were no time limits on them. There were, there were just goal things. It, it, there's a difference between making a list of your goals and making a list of things you want to do. Right. Things you want to do. I can go forever. No problem. So, yeah. Goals. That's when you sit down and you go, what am I going to do? Yeah. And how, and how am I, and how am I going to do that? Yeah. Prioritize. And, 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 and when is it going to be done? Those are the things. Once I sat down with Brian and he really kind of gave me that regiment, gave me that sheet. I have that sheet hanging up on my wall here. I get, I've given it to all my kids. Uh, Tucker did a goal. He did this so funny. I sat down with Tucker, you know, and, and, and I went through the whole thing with him gave him a copy of the stuff, gave him a sheet. I go write out what you want to do. I'll type it out. I typed it out and handed it to him. He had those goals, the goals that he had written down, he had done in about three, four months. Wow. Knocked them out. I think there's one left. Yeah. And, um, it's, it, it's a visual. And that's why, and that's why I tell my yeah. daughters is like, I visualize out what I want from them and what, and what I think is huge. And like we were coming home from, from my mom's yesterday from mother's day. And I was like, when you get home, these are the three things that I need done. However you do them in whatever priority, but these are, and so we get home and they had a goal in mind. They had a, they had what they needed to do and it was an achievable goal. It wasn't like, Hey, go clean your entire room from top to bottom. It was, Hey, change the litter box. Hey, and they got home and they did it. And then they had, the, you know, it's like, but I think it's automatically building that into them now at a young age, but yeah. having them with this, like, you know, I would love to sit down and say, Hey, what's your goal at the end of the year? You know, like, I mean, I, I know you're nine years old, but what is your goal for the end of this year? Well, Hey, I want to get a hundred percent on all my spelling tests. Perfect. Then let's achieve your hundred percent. And how can dad help you by giving you, you know, coaching. So I think that's huge. And I think that's going to play to a lot of people's lives. And I think yeah. that's the biggest thing. And nowadays is everyone's goal is to become famous. Yeah. Like I got, I got called from a production company last week. And they're trying to find people. They're, they're trying to find a host to do a new show on um, Nat Geo. And this lady calls me and we had like the phone interview and then we had the digital, you know, and she starts asking questions. And I was like, let's just stop right there. And she goes, huh? I was like, I'm not the right guy for you. She's like, why? I said, because you're looking for someone who wants to be famous and will change who they are to be famous. Yeah. I'm not going to change who I am to become famous. I have no desire in my heart to become famous. Right. Now, if I become famous because of what I'm doing and I can stay true to who I am, I'm all about that, but I am not going to change the core of who this person is and the company that I've built because you want a TV show. Yeah. And she goes, but look at the money. And I was like, I, listen, I've been poor. I grew up poor. Like I grew up eating macaroni, you know, my mom would make vats of spaghetti. You know, you, you came over and ate spaghetti three nights a week with us when you guys were poor and struggling and my mom would bring over spaghetti to your house, right? Like I've been poor. I don't, it doesn't hurt me to go become poor again. Like yeah. money is not a driving factor. Is money great? Yeah. But money just means I get more crap, you yeah. know, and it doesn't, it doesn't add or take away anything from my life. I would, yeah. I would. I would eat macaroni and cheese and hot dogs for the rest of my life. If it meant I could be happy. Yeah. Like throw all the money you want at me. But at the end of the day, it's if I'm, 
not staying true to who I am and authentic, you know? And again, like I told you, I learned a lot of that from you from watching your authenticity yeah. you know, growing up and, and Karen the same way, you know, she was who she was. She is who she is. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know his wife, his name's Karen. He said it a couple of times. Um, but it was one of those deals where it was, this is who we are. And my family was the same way. It's like, this is who we are. And either you, you like it or there's the door, but this yeah. is, this is who we are as a family. Here's our goals. This is what we're going to achieve. So yeah. Anyway, I know it's a, we kind of got off subject there, but I think it was good. I think people like listening to real stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And I think, you know, as far as the goals stuff and the, and the, and the projects and stuff like that, Karen calls it, Karen and your wife are, are sound like they're very, very similar. Annoying. <laughs> Karen will look at me <laughs> and she'll go, she'll go, what are you doing that for now? You know, or whatever. But we, we call it spinning plates. Yeah. You know, oh, like, you, like in the circus where they got all the, yeah, like going. in the circus, it's spinning, got to keep those plates spinning, you know? And that's what it is. But yeah, I mean, you have to be authentic and you have to do what you want and you have to, you know, be happy of doing what you're doing and, and fame is overrated, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just, that's, that's not, uh, that shouldn't even be on the plate. But for a know? lot of people it is because of TikTok oh, yeah, of course. and Instagram and, and watching celebrities. I remember I sat down with, uh, Anthony Bourdain one time I was at mm. this charity event and we were sitting there and, um, I just got slammed by another professional chef. I'm not going to say his name, Bobby Flay. Um, but he came over and I was cooking quail. He's like, oh, where'd you go to culinary school? I was like, oh, I didn't. He's like, oh, then you're not really a chef type mentality, you know? And uh -huh. he kind of walked off and Bourdain walked over and was like, give me that quail. He takes a bite. He's like, let's go sit down. And he was like, tell me the ingredients. that went." And he starts going off, you know, and all this other stuff. And he looked at me and said, pardon my French, but F them. Who yeah. is that person? Yeah. He's like, F me. I, who cares who I am? He goes, that's effing delicious. And I remember I never called myself a chef because to me, a chef was going to culinary school. Right. Mm -hmm. And he was the very first person to tell me, he goes, listen, a chef is a master of their craft. You are a bakery chef when you have mastered the art of baking. You are mm -hmm. a, you know, a, a, you know, whatever chef when you've mastered it. And he goes, I've eaten this quail. He goes, and it's nice to meet you, chef. And he shook my hand and he got up at the table and he walked away. Yeah. See, that's great. And I remember from then on, I was like, okay, I guess I'm a chef. And it's like, yeah. I now put it on my taxes because, but I never thought about it as you were once you, once you master your craft, you're not, you're a musician when you pick up a guitar and play your first chord, mm -hmm. right? You're a chef. The moment you grab that food and someone comes over and says, that was the best bite of food I've ever had. Yeah. You are now a chef and I don't care. You're not a cook. You're not, but see that, 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 but see, that's the thing. And, and we talked about it early in this conversation. That's the thing where you treat people with respect and treat, treat people nicely. You know, Mark Tarbell called me a chef and nobody had ever called me that. Right. But, but you know, he, he introduced me to somebody who goes, this is Mike. He's a, he's a great Southwestern chef is what he called me. And, and, and it was really interesting to be called that from somebody like Mark Tarbell. Right. You know, and, and, um, you know, that's the kind of thing where it's just like, you know, you, you look at, you look at, uh, something like that and it's just, you know, it's, it's, it, there's two choices there. You could have did what Bobby Flay did, or you could have did what Bourdain did, yeah. you know? And, and what are you, what are you gaining out of that? You know? No, hundred percent. So, all right. Well, thank you so much for coming on and chit chat. Yeah, thanks for having I miss me. you a lot. Um, I miss you too. Next we got to figure it all out. Yeah. No, I mean, like I said, we're going to, we're going to cook together. We're going to hunt together. 
Um, I know we're supposed to come up and see my sister in Arizona, so we'll make it a stop because last time we were up there, Ann's like, let's stop and see him. But then I looked on your Instagram and you guys were somewhere else. Um, let me know when, it, when, when that is as soon as possible. Yeah, I will. I'll let you know. So we'll tell everybody where they can find, find you. I, I know you mentioned it earlier, but where can they find you on social media? Where can they find your rubs, um, your songs on Spotify or Amazon music yeah. or whatever? What can they search? What can they look? How can they well, support you? The name of the band is Mike Eldred Trio, M-I-K-E-E-L-D-R-E-D Trio. And we're on, we have a YouTube channel, Mike Eldred Trio. And then um, we're on uh, Instagram. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple. We're on Amazon. Um, we're on Facebook, um, on all that stuff. And then um, uh, Papa Legba Hoodoo Barbecue is on Insta- Instagram. It's under Hoodoo Barbecue, Hoodoo BBQ. And uh, we have a Facebook page also. Um, uh, and then you can find us, uh, I, we have a YouTube channel too, Hoodoo Barbecue, and uh, you can find that there and, um, look for, uh, Hoodoo Kitchen. We should be launching that by the end of the year for sure. And then, um, uh, Hoodoo Barbecue, www.hoodoobbq.com is where you can go on. You can buy Love Rub and you can buy coffee cups, aprons. Don't mess your clothes. Get one of those. <laughs> and, uh. You know, it's all it's all that stuff right there. And you can see what we're all about. You can see the story of the Hoodoo Barbecue and all that stuff and what we what we're all about. But, yeah, that's where you can find all of our stuff. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on, Mike. And like I said, you you've defined um, you've helped shape and mold who I am as a person. Um, you know, so I appreciate I, I, that. I, I, I want to tell you this, too. Uh, your parents, when we were when we were pregnant with the first baby, um, your parents helped us out so much in figuring out all of that. Right. And, um, and uh, you know, and then when Lindy and Macklin and uh, Tucker came along, your parents were instrumental in showing us how to be parents and how to raise good kids and stuff. And, and uh, just growing up around your, your family has been a real blessing for us too. And I can't tell you how proud I am of you oh, I appreciate to see it. you doing what you want to do and, and just, you know, and be be encouraged in what you're doing and don't let these haters even have a foot in the door you know but i would also say you know uh, understand that they don't really know what they're doing you know right. and uh you just got to stay away from it filter out the noise you know what i mean oh, yeah. all signal no noise oh 100 percent. and yeah. I, I was telling someone the other day i said i get encouraged by every negative because it means that i can only go up and i can only be positive um, yeah. Like you can never have more of nothing. Yeah. Or, I mean, you, you can always have more of nothing. And so it's like, I can always get more from, from that comment than you can from giving it. And so I encourage people, if you want to yeah. bash bash, because it's just going to drive me to have a million more ideas and get piss off my wife because you say I can't do something and I'm going to prove to you that I can. So right. anyway, Mike, thank you so much for coming on and uh, I appreciate it. And this is a, this is going to be a good one. So yeah, and I'll send you uh, that goal-setting stuff, and we'll talk soon. Yes, sir. And uh, for everyone else, make sure you follow along. I'm going to go ahead and put all that stuff that Mike said down in the show notes. You can go ahead and click and enjoy that. And trust me when I say it, the rub is phenomenal. So don't just give your wife a love rub. Go get some love rub for your ribs, baby. Put it on everything. Everything. I'm, I'm going to try it on ice cream. I still got a little bit upstairs. Got a little Eggs every morning, fried potatoes, baked potatoes, asparagus, everything. Mm-hmm. Until we meet again, my friends, talk to you later.